This morning's text is Acts 18, 1 through 17. After this, Paul left Athens and went to Corinth, and he found a Jew named Aquila, a native of Pontus, recently come from Italy with his wife Priscilla, because Claudius had commanded all the Jews to leave Rome, and he went to see them, and because he was of the same trade, he stayed with them and worked, for they were tent makers by trade, and he reasoned in the synagogue every Sabbath and tried to persuade Jews and Greeks. When Silas and Timothy arrived from Macedonia, Paul was occupied with the word, testifying to the Jews that the Christ was Jesus. And when they opposed and reviled him, he shook out his garments and said to them, Your blood be on your own heads. I am innocent. From now on, I will go to the Gentiles. And he left there and went to the house of a man named um, Titius Justus, a worshiper of God. His house was next door to the synagogue. Crispus, the ruler of the synagogue, believed in the Lord together with his entire household. And many of the Corinthians, hearing Paul believed and, hearing Paul believed and were baptized. And the Lord said to Paul one night in a vision, Do not be afraid. But go on speaking and do not be silent, for I am with you, and no one will attack you to harm you, for I have many in the city who are my people. And he stayed a year and six months teaching the word of God among them. But when Gallio was proconsul, the chief judicial officer of Achaia, the Jews made a united attack on Paul and brought him before the tribunal, the proconsul's judgment seat, saying, this man is persuading people to worship God contrary to the law. But when Paul was about to open his mouth, Leo said to the Jews, If it were a matter of wrongdoing or vicious crime, O Jews, I would have reason to accept your complaint. But since it is a matter of questions about words and names and your own law, see to it yourselves. I refuse to be a judge of these things. And he drove them from the tribunal. And they all seized Sosthenes, the ruler of the synagogue, and beat him in front of the tribunal. But Galio paid no attention to any of this. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you, Charity. Good morning, church. It's good to see you all this morning. And um, I want to uh, reinforce what, what Charity was, was talking about. And maybe you heard her talking about DNAs and you're wondering what in the world is a DNA. We have DNA groups. Uh, DNA stands for Discipleship, Nurture, and Accountability. And the groups are made up of three men or three women who get together a weekly and they encourage each other in the gospel and their identity in Christ and they, they pray for each other to become more Christ-like and, and we see incredible fruit um, as a result of, of this discipleship that happens. And the crowded houses are, are a little bit larger groups that where we have men and women uh, who get together throughout the week at somebody's home and they go over either the sermon or they go through a book um, and encourage each other that way where they focus on loving God and loving each other and loving their neighbors and, and doing that together. And so again, if you want to get involved in something like that, you can talk to Charity. Uh, you can talk to Tom right over here. Go ahead and wave your hand for everybody. Uh, you can talk to them. If you are new here and we haven't met, my name is Matt Ortiz. I'm one of the pastors here. And uh, I, I would love it if, uh, if you can stick around afterwards to introduce yourself to me. I, I would love to, to get to know you, to, to meet you. And I want to thank you for, for joining us here uh, this morning. Uh, we are in the middle of a series called Back to Our Roots. And what we're doing is we're following the Apostle Paul to different cities in the Roman Empire and learning how the Apostle Paul shares the love of Christ 
in word and deed and, and how that shapes the different churches that he's starting, the beginning of this incredible expansion of, of the gospel and gospel communities and how that also uh, shapes the way that he disciples these people. And as we look at the Apostle Paul and his ministry, uh, we're figuring out our, uh, what God wants us to be as a church. And today we're in the city of Corinth. And if you ever read Paul's letters to the Corinthian church, you know that his ministry there was incredibly challenging. But he persevered. You know, in his first letter to that church, he said, listen to what he says. He says, I was with you in weakness and in fear and much trembling. This is the Apostle Paul, this visionary leader, this, this incredible risk taker, and he's, he's intimidated? Why is that? I'll tell you why. I'll give you several reasons. First of all, he, he received a challenging response to what he was teaching. Verse 6 says that they opposed and reviled him. And this word for opposed is the only time that this word appears in the Bible. And, and it's a word that means strong, intense opposition. So the translation into English doesn't do it justice. It was fierce, all right? So the response was, was challenging, but also the city was challenging. Corinth was the most influential city in the Roman Empire, a strategic port city with a, a multicultural population of over 200,000 people, which in, in, by the standards of those days, that was a giant city. And it thrived economically and politically and educationally and culturally and sensually known as the licentious pleasure capital of the world. Corinth became synonymous with, with sexual promiscuity. The Roman poet Horace described the city as where only the tough survive. So it was a tough city. And you know what? It was a challenging church. I mean... In his letters to them later, we learn that there was this incredible division in the church and, and, and also that they looked down on Paul. They, they wanted like this mega church super apostle and they made it very clear to him that they were disappointed in him and he was not impressive enough. He was not strong enough. So it was one challenge after another on all fronts and the apostle Paul is exhausted and he's discouraged you know, sooner or later, all of us get clobbered with exhaustion and discouragement, right? Some of you are going through that this morning, today. And you know, most people are shocked and, and they're disillusioned by hardships and tragedies and are tempted to give up in despair. But here's what the Christian faith does for us. The Christian faith believes that because of the life and because of the death and because of the resurrection of Christ, he is bringing restoration to this broken world. And, and so often it's difficult to see sometimes, right? But King Jesus is making all things new. And that is why when life knocks you down, you can persevere and not lose hope. And so God reminds Paul who's exhausted and discouraged 
by saying to him in verse 9, Do not be afraid, but go on speaking. Do not be silent, for I am with you, and no one will attack you to harm you, for I have many in this city who are my people. Now, in this large passage, we're going to be focusing primarily on God's words here to the Apostle Paul so that our faith in Christ can empower us to persevere. And the first thing that God says to the Apostle Paul here is, do not be afraid. That phrase right there is found all throughout the scriptures. When Joshua is facing an army that could easily wipe out out him and his people, the Lord says to him, do not be afraid. When Elijah is being threatened by a king and facing execution, the Lord says to him, do not be afraid. When Jeremiah is called by God to be his prophet and he is feeling incredibly inadequate, the the Lord says to Jeremiah, do not be afraid. When the disciples are caught in a raging storm on the sea and they see Jesus walking across the water toward them, he says, do not be afraid. And when Mary Magdalene finds herself face to face with the resurrected Christ, he says to her, do not be afraid. That phrase, do not be afraid, is the most common phrase, the most used phrase in the entire Bible. Nothing else even comes close. The most common thing mentioned phrase in the Bible is when the Lord tells his people, do not be afraid. Now, a loving father does not tell his three-year-old daughter who's afraid of the dark, don't be an idiot. You believe in monsters? That's dumb. Go to sleep right now or I'll smack you. Now, a loving father doesn't do that. And if you do that, you should really stop. Okay? (laughs) Instead, a good father will reassure his daughter. And you will comfort her. And you will explain to her why she doesn't have to be afraid. Right? And our loving Father, uh, he constantly tells us, his children, when we are filled with fear, when we are filled with disappointment, when we are filled with anxiety in the midst of our challenges and our hardships and things not going the way that we thought they would go, that we don't have to be afraid. He reassures us as a loving Father. And he tells Paul and he tells you, whatever it is that you're going through right now, you do not have to be afraid. And I'll explain why throughout the rest of the message. But the next thing God says is go on speaking and do not be silent. The Lord is telling Paul, be faithful in your mission that I, give, that I gave to you. You keep living out your faith and, and keep sharing your, your faith in this tough city with these tough people. Don't lose heart. Keep pressing on. You know, as you you read this passage of Scripture, actually, we see a lot of really good things happening in in his ministry. A lot of things kind of seem to be going outwardly, but Paul doesn't seem to be doing so well inwardly. That's often the case with us, too, right? We put our best foot forward, put on a happy face, 
you know, maybe your job's taken off or your relationship seems to be going well. Maybe you're getting good grades and you look oh so happy in all of your Instagram pics, right? But the reality is you're not doing so well on the inside. In our passage, there's some good things that are happening. happening. Tidius Justice opened his home to Paul and, and gave him the hospitality that he needed. And Crispus, it says, the ruler of the synagogue believed in the Lord together with his entire household. And many of the Corinthians hearing Paul believed and were baptized. The gospel mission was advancing and having a, a great impact. And then we're told that he makes two uh, new friends, two important friends, Aquila and Priscilla, they were confidants. They, they, they went into business together, making tents, and, and they helped the Apostle Paul on his mission. And the other letters that Paul wrote say that Aquila and Priscilla went with Paul as he was planting churches, and they would open their home to the churches that, that the Apostle Paul planted. And so Paul had this community and this encouragement from Aquila and Priscilla. And then we see that his other partners in, in the mission, Timothy and Silas, they catch up with the Apostle Paul here in Corinth to help him out. And another letter tells us that they show up with this financial gift for the Apostle Paul from this Philippian church. So he no longer has to be a tent maker. And now he is able to devote all of his time to the mission that God gave him. So many things were going well. But inwardly, Paul was not in a good place. In, in verse 6, you can sense his frustration. And I think Charity read it well with the right tone when he says, Your blood be on your own heads. I'm moving on. I'm out of here. I'm going to the Gentiles. He was struggling so much with exhaustion and defeat, discouragement. God had to come to him in a vision to encourage him and strengthen him to persevere because even though it seemed like things were going well on the outside, he wasn't doing so well on the inside. And you know what, you know what God did not say to the Apostle Paul? He did not say, yo, Paul, suck it up. Be a man. Don't be such a little baby. He doesn't say that to him. He does not leave the Apostle Paul on his own, to press on in his own strength. Because he says, and this is our next phrase, he says, I am with you. Yeah, now, the Apostle Paul would have been very familiar with this phrase as well because God, throughout the scriptures, is constantly reminding his people of his covenant promises that he made to them in the Old Testament. And, and he constantly reminds us of his promises because we forget, don't we? We forget his promises. We doubt his promises. We forget God's track record. And like a loving Heavenly Father, he reminds us, I am with you. It's all throughout the scriptures. When Joseph was sold into slavery, it says that the Lord was with him. When Moses received the, the call from God at the burning bush, and Moses says, Lord, I can't do this. The Lord says, I am with you. When Joshua was worried about not being able to fill Moses' shoes to lead God's people into the promised land, God says to Joshua, I am with you. And when Gideon only had 300 soldiers and he was facing an, an army of thousands upon thousands, the Lord tells Gideon, I am with you. 
In Isaiah, the Lord says to the prophet, when you pass through the waters, I will be with you. And through the rivers, they shall not overwhelm you. And when you walk through fire, you shall not be burned and the flames shall not consume you. For I am the Lord, your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Savior. This right here is Paul's strength. This is our strength. The Lord is our strength. And whatever it is that you're facing, whatever it is that you're going through, whatever is right around the corner and you're worried that it's just going to ruin your life and just blow it all apart, you need to know that the Lord is with you. The great preacher, Charles Spurgeon, gave a sermon on fear and laying burdens before the Lord. And he says this, It does not matter to a porter how heavy a load may be if he can find another to carry it all for him. But if he is to carry it all himself, of course he does not like a heavy load. So one man bears his troubles himself and, and gets his back nearly broken, but the other casts his troubles on the Lord. Ah, it does not matter how heavy troubles are if you cast them on the Lord. The heavier they are, so much the better. For the more you have gotten rid of them, the more that is laid upon the rock of our salvation. Never be afraid of troubles, however heavy they are. God's eternal shoulders can bear them. He whose omnipotence is testified by the revolving planets and systems of enormous galaxies can well sustain you. Is his arm too short he cannot save? Or is he weary that he cannot hold you tightly? Your troubles are nothing to God, for his very clouds are the dust of his feet. That is our almighty God, and he is with you. God is telling Paul, and he's telling us that we can lay our, our burdens before him. Because he was with you and he is mighty to save. We can trust him. Another reason Paul could persevere is because next God says, no one will attack you or harm you. God is saying, you know what, you're going to be safe, Paul, during your stay here in Corinth. And in verses 12 through 17, we see how this played out. Paul is taken to court by these religious leaders who were oppressing him. And at that time, Christianity had legal protection under the umbrella of Judaism. And these religious leaders didn't want Christianity lumped in with them. They wanted Christianity to be illegal. And so they bring this to Galileo, the chief justice or the chief judicial officer. And they say, this man is persuading people to worship God contrary to the law. And so Paul hears this charge to Galileo, this chief judicial officer, and the scripture says he opens up his mouth to defend himself, to address the charges. But before he can get any words out, Galileo speaks up and basically says, I am not here to deal with your little squabbles. You have no case here. Get out of here. So God protects Paul through a pagan ruler who steps in by not stepping in. In his commentary, John Stott describes the significance of this when he writes, Galileo's refusal to take seriously the Jewish case against Paul or to adjudicate was immensely important for the future of the gospel. 
In effect, he passed a favorable verdict on the Christian faith and thus established significant precedent. The gospel was not charged for being illegal, so God keeps his promise to protect Paul. The chief means of his protection would be Roman law. God orchestrates it all. And, 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 and he protects Paul in a way that the Apostle Paul could have never imagined. Paul was facing a severe beating and, and being locked up in a prison and, and the end of his mission before it really picked up any momentum. Paul sees here that God is control of absolutely everything. And then later, when he does get beaten, when he does get thrown into prison, he remembers God is in control of everything. God always brings about his purposes, even when we don't know what they are. He always brings redemption. We just can't always see it, can we? And here's the thing. The times we do see it give us faith for the times that we don't. Later, Paul writes to the church in Rome that we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purposes. Maybe you've been involved with Christianity for a while and you've heard that verse a million times and you've seen people just kind of throw it out there as a, as a band-aid without any real empathy or, or without any real encouragement in the Lord. And so, so maybe you've kind of developed a, you know, kind of a resistance to hearing that verse. But I'm telling you, this is true and it's life-giving. Do you know where the Apostle Paul was when he wrote this verse? He was in Corinth. He was in Corinth. And I imagine him reflecting on, on how God intervened through the Roman officials when he wrote that verse right there. And, and I imagine him reflecting on, on the brokenness that he sees everywhere around him in the city of Corinth and in his people and writing Romans chapter 1, describing it all. And I imagine him processing how his own people opposed and, and reviled him. And then with great sorrow, writing Romans chapter 9 and chapter 11 about God's consequences for them but then presenting the hope of the gospel. The Apostle Paul was empowered to persevere because he knew that God was loving and in control. Now, I, I want to tell you something. I've accepted this doctrine a long time ago that God is sovereign, that he's in control. This doctrine of God's providence, that he works all things, all things together, Right? And I've read books uh, by, you know, amazing authors who do an excellent job of, you know, explaining that and, and encouraging, you know, us in our faith in the sovereignty of God. And it's really easy to have kind of a theoretical understanding of God is sovereign, but it's a whole different ballgame knowing that in your soul. And usually you don't get it really until you really go through it. And of all the people I've read and, you know, you know professors that I've heard or, or preachers who preach on this, you know, as, as helpful as, as they are, there's one person who's taught me more about the sovereignty of God than anybody else, and that's Vicki Daniels, who I work with every day. 
And I'll tell her we meet. Sometimes I'll say, man, this didn't work out. This fell apart. Oh, this guy that was supposed to fly in on Friday night, we were supposed to have this big planning meeting. The weather was so bad, the flight got canceled. Now we can't have our planning meeting anymore. And, you know, she just reminds me, you know what? God's in control. He's just got a different timeline than you do. I didn't get this and that done. That's all right. God has a different task list for you. It reminds me, God's timing is not our timing. And, and I watch that and seeing her live that out in, in the most convinced, in the most convincing way, it convinces me, seeing that faith in action. And so I say uh, oftentimes, I preach on the sovereignty of God all the time, but Vicki actually believes it. Last night, I told Pastor Josh Cass that I wasn't feeling too confident about my sermon. And he says to me, isn't it ironic? You're preaching on the sovereignty of God, and you're not confident about your sermon. (laughs) And then he breaks out in that Alanis Morissette song. He does a good Alanis Morrissey. You should ask him to do it for you sometime. Let's look at the last thing God says here. I have many in the city, God says. I have many in the city who are my people. It would be tempting for any one of us and for Paul to roll into Corinth, look around and say, no way. It's not happening. This is a lost cause. These people are too far gone. There's no way we're going to make a difference here. But God reminds Paul that he, God, is able to work in the most unexpected ways, in the most unlikely people, in the most broken places. I need to hear that. We, as a church, on mission, the same mission that Paul was involved in, we share in that mission here in our corner of the planet, right here in in North County. And it's real easy to think, I'm just so busy, or there's so many demands, or it's so expensive to live in San Diego. And then we lose sight of our mission. We think, we're too weak. We don't have enough time. We don't have the talent. We can't do it. And then look around and we see, oh, those people, they're, you know, they're a lost cause. They're beyond God's grace. Well, you know what? God didn't write us off. He reached out to us. He gave us the Holy Spirit to see who Jesus is and what he has done. Therefore, we should not write off anyone. We can reach out to them and expect the Holy Spirit to give them eyes to see who Jesus is and what he's done. God's called us to be a faithful witness to his glorious grace. Maybe there's somebody that you know, someone that you think is beyond God's grace. Anybody come to mind? Somebody like that person ain't ever coming to Jesus. Anybody come to mind? Well, listen, they're not beyond God's grace. You know why you can know that? Because you weren't beyond God's grace. God's grace works in the most unexpected ways, in the most unlikely people, in the most broken places. 
Beckys are telling me about some good friends of theirs that are going to, to Pakistan as missionaries. I think God has blessed them with a faith that most of us don't have. It's easy to think, oh, no way. It's like plowing a rock field. I'm not going over there. May God give us faith in his sovereignty and his grace. And, and, and may he give us the love we need to, to pray for them and to support them in their mission in Pakistan and then live it out in our mission here as well. There's nothing, I mean, we're all saved by God's grace. There is nothing in you that God saw in you and me that makes God say about to us, hey, you're pretty awesome. I think I want to hang out with you. There's nothing in, in us. We all need God's grace. We all need God's mercy. And that should humble us and encourage us to persevere. Many of you know I lived in National City in West Chula Vista, IB area, uh, for a while, and I met all kinds of, of Navy guys um, there in the, in the South Bay, including Navy SEALs. And their training in Coronado is universally recognized as the hardest military training in the world. And only 10 to 20% at most get through it. And I got to know some of the trainers, some trainers that I went to church with, right? Um, and the trainers say that uh, all of the guys who end up passing, including some of the most unlikely guys who are not the, you know, not the strongest or the fastest or they weren't any sports stars or track runners or you know, Olympic gold medalists or anything like that, even some of the most you know, unlikely guys that passed and, and, and survived through it all and became Navy SEALs, they all had one thing in common. They said that even in great pain, they would step outside of it, accept their fear and their pain, and ask, how can I help the guy next to me? That was the one trait that everybody who passed had in common. They have more than courage, more than strength. They are dedicated to the others and a higher purpose. Now, there's something incredibly biblical about that to me, that about persevering, having less to do with courage, less to do with strength, and more to do with persevering for the sake of others and for a higher purpose. God is reminding Paul of that here. And he's saying to Paul, there is a reason for what you are going through. You are persevering for the sake of others. There is something bigger than your own suffering and, and your challenges. There is a higher purpose. There are many people here who are my people, and I want you to stay here and be bold and persevere for their sake. And as a result of God's encouragement to the Apostle Paul, the very next verse says, and Paul stayed a year and six months teaching the word of God among them. Paul, who struggled with fear and, and weakness and trembling, and he says as much about himself in his own, own letters, he became resilient and he became bold. He persevered for the sake of others and for the sake of the gospel. So let me ask you, In what area is God calling you to persevere? That's not a rhetorical question. You don't have to say it out loud. But I want you to, to look at your life, look at your heart right now. In what area is God calling you to persevere? 
In what is, is God calling you to trust him? How is God calling you to step out in faith on mission? Where has God placed you? And who are the people that he wants you to love with the love of Christ in both word and, and deed? What are you afraid of? What are the obstacles that shut you down before you even get started? What hardships are you facing? In what ways are you called to persevere for others and for the cause of Christ and for his kingdom? And maybe you're thinking and then you, f- you feel afraid and then you feel like you can't. Well, let me tell you something. You're right. You can't. You can't. Not on your own. Luckily, you're not on your own. God says to you, I am with you. You do not need to be afraid. You can press on. I am in control. You can't see it right now, but your suffering has a purpose, and the purpose is the advancement of the gospel, and the gospel is the power of God unto salvation. Now, I don't know, you, you might be cynical about all of this. I get it. I struggle with that too. Maybe you think, man, I wish God would just talk to me. He never talks to me. I wish I could have a vision. Man, I'd be all pumped up and ready to go like Apostle Paul. Give me a vision. Am I the only one that says that? <laughs> Maybe I am. I think most people would be encouraged if God just spoke to them in a vision, and said, I'm God, by the way, and I want you to keep pressing on, you know? <laughs> Guess what? God does speak to us and has spoken to us in his word. When you read his word, he is talking to you. It's not just a textbook. It is God talking to you. The Bible tells us that the word became flesh and dwelt among us. Jesus came into our world and looked around and saw all the brokenness. And for the sake of others and for the highest purpose, he persevered through unimaginable hardships and challenges and oppression. And he persevered, not at the risk of his life, but at the cost of his life. In the Garden of Gethsemane, he was under so much, as he was preparing for the cross, which was next, he was under so much pressure, he was sweating drops of blood, but Jesus persevered. On the cross, Jesus cried out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And there were no words of encouragement. No words at all. The Father turned his face away, but Jesus persevered. Jesus was forsaken so that you would not be. And because of that, because he is with you, you can persevere. Not by gritting your teeth and sucking it up and trying real hard in your your own strength. I mean, we can simply persevere knowing that Jesus persevered for us. Your future is secure, your soul is secure. We will never, ever be separated from God. He's with you. 
close with this. In his book, A Sweet and Bitter Providence, John Piper says, life is not a straight line, bleeding from one blessing to the next and then finally to heaven. Life is a winding and troubled road, switchback after switchback. And the point of biblical stories like Joseph and Job and Esther and Ruth is to help us feel in our bones, not just in our heads, that God is for us in all of these strange turns. God is not just showing up after the trouble and cleaning it up. He is plotting the course and managing the troubles with far-reaching purposes for our good and for the glory of Jesus Christ. The God who says to you and to me, persevere, is the God who sent his son Jesus to persevere and endure sin and death at the cross. And because of that, we can lean into our heavenly Father who holds us and keeps us. So then we have the freedom to live with boldness and be resilient in our faith and pursue our mission with godly zeal to share our faith, to bless our city for the glory of Jesus Christ. Amen? Amen. Would you bow your heads?